Hey, welcome to episode 10 of the I Just Want This Done Divorce podcast. I'm Rafe Palmer, and that's Rahul Iyer, and we're here to talk to you about all the stuff we like to talk about, divorce, celebs, dating apps, relationships, and all that stuff. So without any further ado, I like to say ado, we are going to talk a little bit about the Olivia Wilde and Jason Sudeikis settled their custody case, and you were going to talk about this, right? Yeah, so... Another celeb uh, story hits the press, and uh, Jason Sudeikis and Olivia Wilde, for people who don't know, they're both actors. Sudeikis most recently is in Ted Lasso, very, very famous, popular sitcom on Apple TV, shout out, and also has been in uh, a lot of other shows. I mean, he was in HBO's, uh, what's that show with uh, Kenny Powers? Well, whatever that show is, a uh, hilarious show, by the way. He's been in uh, Horrible Bosses. Is He's that been the one with the Canadian guys? I mean, Kenny Powers. Which one? Kenny Powers was like this oh. baseball uh, hilarious show on HBO. Okay, I don't know. And Eastbound and oh, Down, right. that's the name of the show. <laughs> Eastbound and Down. Great show. So funny. So he was in a few seasons of that. And uh, just just great actor. Hilarious, hilarious actor. And then Olivia Wilde, of course, in her own right, in lots of very popular movies and, and shows and everything. So... Anyway, they filed for divorce. This case sort of started off with a bang, just sort of as background. He had her served, unbeknownst to her, while she was on stage at Comic-Con, kind of embarrassing her in front of everybody. So they sort of thought it was going to be very, very uh, rough. But then they've sort of kind of calmed down, as people typically do in this process. And it sounds like they finally settled their custody case. They have two kids, Otis, who is nine, and Daisy, who is seven. They have, they have joint custody of them on a uh, what we call a week-on, week-off schedule. So he has her one week, she has her one week, and flip-flop. And, you know, there's one of several schedules people can have, depending on how frequently you want to transition, so on and so forth. We can talk about how parenting schedules work in a different on a different day, but suffice it to say, they have a 50-50 schedule, it sounds like. And additionally, he's going to be paying her $27,500 per month for child support, and will also pay 25% of the childcare costs on top of the 27,500. Okay. So um, apparently they sort of segment how much child support should be paid for each child with, with which I thought oh, was interesting okay. because the article goes on to say 10,300 for Otis and 17,200 for Daisy. So I don't know how that's allocated. It's probably a state by state thing, but it's again, based on income and parenting time, I'm sure his income his estimated income, this article says, was ten point five million dollars, and hers was five hundred thousand. So that explains why, despite having a fifty-fifty schedule, he's paying some child support. And like we talked about the Costner case, you can see how child support can vary between celebrities. I mean, here's twenty-seven thousand five hundred. I know what uh, you know what we heard talked about Costner's child support in previous episodes and what Baumgartner right. wanted in excess of that. So, so it sort of gives you a sampling of the different dollar amounts or values and based on each celebrity's, uh, of course, income. So very interesting. Another settlement, which is nice to see, you know, like we say, all these celebs at some point just want it done, sort of like the title of this podcast. So yeah. And well, yeah so they, they, Shout out. I'm, I'm interested in the splitting of the amount of child support because I think that's the first time I've heard of something like that. And I've been doing this a long time. Now in Illinois, we just have one lump amount of money based on the number of kids and the incomes. And uh, 
they might. That's Cal. Is that a California divorce? I'm assuming. You know, I'm actually not sure. I would assume so. Uh, but again, I would have uh, thought we would have heard of this split child support thing before. Yeah. Any of you folks who are in are divorce lawyers, whatever, who understand how that works, leave us a comment or shoot me an email. And uh, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Rayford Palmer, Instagram at, Ray, at Rayford Palmer. Send me a DM. I'm curious about how that works. We'll do some Googling later, but maybe I'll take about, well, we won't waste time now, but and we can we can follow up on a future episode, yeah. but I guess at some point they had a fight about whether or not the kids should live in New York City or L.A. So you would think that it's one of those two jurisdictions where this is okay. happening. And um, I think we previously, I think it was the last episode uh, where you touched on the UCCJEA and selecting states and, and things like that. So again, you see this, the more you realize these things happen, the more you sort of see it in practice on a day-to-day -day basis. It's like a word you've never heard of, and then suddenly you hear it, and then you hear it being used every day the right. next week. And you're like, where was this word this whole time? Yep. So same thing here. Oh, that makes sense. So in, in yeah, in, in comparison, like the Costner child support, I think was in the 60s. I think they ended up settling yeah. in the $60,000 a month range, uh, 60 something. And she wanted like 150 yeah. or something. And then they, something there was a there. temporary order. It was hundred in the 120s. And then a further hearing, like a two-day hearing, and then it was reduced substantially like by half and that's kind of where they end up settling so yeah you can just see depending on the income and the circumstances these numbers can vary pretty widely you know so uh turning our attention to another celeb divorce joshua jackson who was in dawson's creek and some other stuff jody turner smith who is a model actress she's been in some movies tv music videos married in 2019 they have a three-year-old daughter they they're getting divorced after four years of marriage and he claims he was caught off guard it, about the divorce. This is in uh, usmagazine.com. It says, fans were surprised when Jody Turner-Smith filed for divorce from Joshua Jackson. Insider tells us Jackson was too. I find that kind of thing hard to believe, but what do I know? Joshua was caught, clearly caught off guard by Jody's decision to divorce. The insider reveals in a new issue of Us. They had their issues, as many Clearly. couples do. They're two busy actors, and it discusses how they were busy with traveling and going in different directions with their work. And, of course, you have a young child. Uh, Joshua obviously didn't realize it was this bad, and Jody was this unhappy. Well, yeah, if he was surprised, then kind of like bad on him because he's not paying attention to his wife. This is one person's opinion reading this stuff. If you're, so, if you're surprised that by a divorce filing, you're tone deaf. I mean, you're not paying attention because you probably could feel the disturbance in the force for you Star Wars fans. Uh, but what do I know? I mean, I, obviously I'm not in there to know what's going on on the day to day. But if you're surprised by a divorce filing, that's kind of out there. You might be surprised by the filing itself, but not by the fact that somebody may have, be upset about the marriage enough to file for divorce. But, you know, we don't. Who knows? We're not sure. She's 37. He's 45. Uh, she cited irreconcilable differences, like we say they always do. Not surprising. Separated September 13th. So uh, members of the estranged pair's inner circle were shocked by the split. The friends are baffled and trying to understand how this came about. The, it was true they had a whirlwind romance. No. Here's where my spidey senses start tingling, ladies and gentlemen. And this is speculation based on reports. They were first linked in late 2018 when they were spotted 
packing on the PDA, not my phrase, but this from Us Magazine, not exactly <laughs> a, a paragon of- Rayford Palmer P. Yeah, it's not me saying it, that's Us Magazine. Packing on the PDA at Usher's 40th birthday party. Usher recently announced going to be headlining at the Super Bowl halftime, so it should be awesome. And you said somebody else is going to go there too. I can't remember. I, I thought it was somebody, somebody else, but I'm having all my Super Bowl years mixed up. So it was it's after, just, you know, every year. After a like, few years yeah. of the show being a dud, last year's was pretty impressive, if I recall correctly. They did like Yeah, a, the last two years yeah, were good. Pretty cool show. Anyway, and it had like something for everybody, which was I thought was cool. Okay. Less than one year later, the duo were spotted leaving a California courthouse with what appeared to be a marriage license. <laughs> so it was interesting because in another, yeah, in another article, it said they, their engagement was under wraps and then their marriage was under wraps. In my expert opinion, having been a divorce lawyer for 20 years, having been a lawyer for 30, having been a guy married before and seen a lot of this stuff over time, if you are so shy about letting the world know about your engagement that it's secret and your wedding that it's pretty much secret, there's probably some issue in the relationship. If you're not proud to publicize your relationship with somebody, I'm not talking about just celebrities, but if you're not willing to go out, put it out there, you know, and, and I understand, I mean, we're not talking about like eloping or something, and that's a whole different issue. You know, your families don't want you to get married or whatever, and your young kids, that's not what I'm getting into, although that may not be healthy either. But with this situation, you've, money's not an issue. They're grown people. They're not kids. Why is it secret? There's a reason somebody is trying to keep it on the down low, and it's probably not good. So it, that's the kind of thing where it's like the seeds of the destruction are laid in the foundation, in my opinion. And this ties into my second book I'm working on now. I just want to know, but more on that in later episodes. But it's very interesting. And that says they became glued to each other after the first night they met and the parenthood soon followed. So here's another challenge. You just got married. You're laying the stress of a baby right on top of that. And you barely have gotten to know each other. This is challenging. Kids are hard as it is. So one of the challenges with folks when they're getting married when they're a little older is they you know, people hurry up and they have a baby or whatever. And if they're newly married, they're just starting to get adjusted to being with each other as married people. Challenging. Challenging when you're young, challenging when you're older too. But um, Insider notes that some of the estranged couple's friends are hoping there's still a chance for reconciliation. My guess is probably not, but who knows. Speculation about the relationship status began in September, 2022. Now here's the thing why, why nobody should be surprised especially Mr. Jackson. Eagle-eyed fans noticed that Jackson and Turner Smith no longer followed each other on Instagram. Okay, that's, that's a year ago. Yeah, face. here we are in a modern age, right? We, we talk about, ladies and gentlemen, we love talking about dating apps and tech. Well, here you go. If you unfollow your wife on Instagram, there's probably something going that's not going great. And if you're, you've unfollowed each other, probably not a good sign. Uh, so but that's a year ago. At the time, the twosome each posted an ad showing them as a couple, but they didn't reference each other in their respective social media captions. They later refollowed each other on the platform. Oh boy. So who knows? According to court documents. Probably some PR handling. Yeah. Yeah. P right. And and there are professional PR agencies these folks pay a lot of money to to help maintain their public image. 
and I'm sure they said to them, them, hey, you better refollow each other and act. If you're married, you better act like you're married. Fans love everything about these people. And part of their star power is that they're a couple. So it can damage their brand if they don't manage this stuff carefully. So then according to court documents, he, uh, seeking joint custody, not a surprise. She has not requested spousal support, which is interesting. Um, it looks like they both have made a decent buck. I, we don't know what their relative assets or income are. Uh, so that says, Jody seems quite sure of her decision, says a source. The ball's in Joshua's court. He's probably trying to sort things out himself. So that's a scoop on that. And, and obviously, we don't know the inside details other than what's reported in the press. And we are just relaying what we report on. And we speculate on things here from our insights as divorce lawyers and human beings being involved in the dating scene and observing real, real life for a long time. So, and there's things here that are instructive for us. Now, good on them for not blowing each other up on social media, keeping things about their kid quiet and all that stuff. And hopefully they settle the case and, and do it right. Like these other folks that are, uh, they, Olivia White, Wild and Sudeik has settled their case. Hopefully they settle their case and things are on the down low and it ends well. Maybe they reconcile, which would be even better, but uh, sort of interesting and wanted to talk about, yes, my opinion on the seeds of problems planted early in this relationship. It, it sounded like a rapid romance for whatever reason. And the under wraps engagement and marriage is very strange to me, especially for celebs. So that's that's always a red flag. And you sort of wonder if this article, even initially, when when you were quoting it or citing it, I, I thought maybe his PR might have pushed this article because of the way it's written. It says, of course, he was caught off guard. And and obviously, he could have never seen this coming. So you could see all the hyperbole in there that I wonder. I'm like, this doesn't seem very neutral to me. It's definitely has a slant. So so who knows? Maybe court of public opinion is is being uh, right here. And so turning our attention to um, another celeb divorce. And again, we they're fun to talk about to some extent because they're celebrities. But the other thing, the thing we find interesting is that the operational parts we can help use as teachable moments for our audience and explain to people why things are the way they are. And when the press gets things wrong, we like to correct that. And, you know, a lot of things are assumed by the press or they draw conclusions that aren't many, many times aren't accurate. So this one is kind of interesting. Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner enter 40 mediation regarding parenting. Excellent. Glad to hear they're entering mediation about parenting. And uh, the article says they're going to do four day mediation over custody issues for their daughters. As we told you in a previous episode, uh, they're in the middle of a divorce and they've rapidly moved to mediation. So congratulations to them. No foot dragging here and no nasty litigation. They are rolling right into mediation. So awesome. We are big fans of alternative dispute resolution here. Um, I talk about case resolution options in my book, Strangely Named, I Just Want This Done. How Smart Successful People Get Divorced Without Losing Their Kids' Money and Minds. This is a real book, 300 plus pages, bestseller on Amazon. That's where we got the name for the pod. And um, I have a whole chapter where we talk about case resolution options. And this chapter is about mediation. Or I'm sorry, in the chapter, we compare litigation, mediation, arbitration, collaborative practice, pros and cons for all of them. So what is mediation? 
Well, mediation is when two parties have a neutral third party. Usually it's a lawyer trained as a mediator, but it can be a mental health professional or someone else operating that has mediation training and background, and they operate as a, as a neutral person to referee the dispute and let both people air their concerns and generate options and try to come to a resolution. A mediator is not a judge. They are not putting on the evidence. They're not arguing the case and then having the mediator decide. They may argue, they might get into a d discussion where they're laying out their concerns and it might even get heated, but the mediator is trying to keep it fair, keep people behaving nice in the sandbox and not calling each other names and devolving into just name calling and blaming or getting historical, as I like to call it, like talking about who did what to whom, because that's not productive, but keeping people productive and on the road to get from A to B. And that is what the mediator does and helps them generate potential solutions. A mediator cannot give legal advice. So the parties in mediation need lawyers to give them advice on what their rights and responsibilities are and what the parameters are for reasonable outcomes. But the mediator can help them maybe save quite a bit of money in getting to a solution. So the pros of, I list the pros and cons in the book and quickly the pros are speed. Mediators can, or mediation can be quite a bit faster than litigation and much less time than other methods. Expense can be typically less expensive. The parties are in control of the process. That's a plus. They likely will take ownership of a mediated agreement. It's more convenient. It's at their schedule on their timeline and it's a more amicable process. The cons, like I said, the judge, the mediator is not a judge, so they can't decide disputed facts. Interim and emergency issues have to be worked out by agreement. You don't have a judge to run to unless the mediation is like court ordered or it's during a court process. Uh, the mediator can't give legal advice. Like I said, there's no way to force disclosure of information. So if somebody wants to hide the ball, they don't have to disclose information. There's no discovery tool in mediation other than voluntary disclosure. The mediator typically won't draft a settlement agreement, although some do. We can get into the prop, whether that's proper or not. Um, the, the typical rule or the ethics rule, as I understand it, is the mediator really shouldn't be the one drafting the agreement. One of the attorneys should draft the agreement, in my opinion. The mediator should draft a memorandum of understanding, which is a memo outlining the agreement terms and that goes to the attorneys for them to generate the settlement agreement. And there's no way to force the case to a conclusion in mediation. There's no definite endpoint except by agreement. So it isn't like there's a trial date, unless there is a pending case, where you know that date's coming and it motivates people to get done. So those are the cons. But that's, that's the scoop on mediation. But we wanted to talk about that. And do you have any thoughts on those pros and cons? And then I want to talk about time limits and reasonableness. Absolutely. And I think also a good thing to touch on, Rafe, would be, you know, whether a mediator has to be an attorney that's good or point. not. Uh, I think that's a good point. Uh, also, I wanted to just add that, I mean, uh, I have nothing to add regarding the pros and cons. I, I think those are absolutely sort of encompass all of it. Each of those have little subgroups of thoughts here and there, but those are the general ideas. Uh, we're Chicagoland divorce lawyers, like we say. So in our jurisdiction in Illinois, you're required to attend mediation to resolve issues regarding children if the two parties don't come to an agreement right away. So that's mandated by the Illinois Supreme Court. And so 
you oftentimes see that parties go to mediation if they don't have an agreement. And that can either be with or without an attorney. You don't need to have an attorney at a mediation, although it is absolutely 100% a good idea if you can afford it, because it's just, that's, how else would you know what your legal rights are and obligations are? And whether what you're getting is a good deal, if you're getting a good shake or or what it is. I mean, you can prepare in advance. Oftentimes we do prepare clients in advance, but it doesn't beat the real thing about being there. So I think mediation is the best way to resolve an issue. And again, you're going to have a co-parenting relationship with this person for the rest of the rest of the right. kids' lives. I mean, just because they're adults doesn't mean they're still right. not your children. So you're uh, you're going to be dealing with this person and you don't want to start off and just really sour on them. And so it's better to resolve it yourself because you're going to have to work yeah, with this person now. I always say, you're, the, you know, in perpetuity. You're still a family it, for all those years afterwards, going to graduations, weddings, sporting events, all that stuff. And, and you want to start out on the right foot. It's better for the kids. Um, and I think, in my opinion, collaborative is typically better than mediation for most people. Because you want, typically, you need to have lawyers anyway representing you to help you understand the, your rights, responsibilities, your high, low, middle, like what's your best case, worst case, what's a reasonable outcome for you. And a mediator can't tell you that. So you end up doing, they, they call it assisted mediation, where the lawyers are sitting there in the mediation session. In my opinion, in my experience, once you have the lawyers there, I think the mediator is just extraneous and an extra expense that's not necessary, provided the lawyers are trained collaboratively and play nice in the sandbox and use mediation-like principles. If it breaks down into a shouting match or a fist fight, not an actual fist fight, but a, you know, a battle with just a mediator sitting there like a dummy, that's not effective. And it's what that ends up being is just like any old argument in the courthouse. It, it's doing nobody any good. There's no judge there. Nothing's going to get decided. And it's just people kind of beating each other up verbally and having an argument like old school negotiation was back in the day when two lawyers and their two clients would sit there just kind of trying to one up each other and basically have a fight and try to convince each other, convince each other of something they were never going to convince each other of. And it's basically a waste of everybody's time. And, you know, mediation principles require people to think about the middle of the Venn diagram and realize that they need to go for an acceptable outcome, not their best day, because their best day is 99% of the time pie in the sky. And that's what we, the book talk about all that in the book. I've talked about that with my clients for 20 plus years. And you have to know what's, what's reasonable to expect. What does it cost to get there? If you go all the way to trial, what's the thing they say in mediation is, is the term is BATNA best alternative to a negotiated uh, result, right? And uh, agreement, exactly, yeah. agreement. Thank you. Best alternative to negotiated agreement. And what that really is, is what is your court outcome potentially? And so you want to know what that is. And that's your sort of your baseline. And are you, where are you going to go related to that? Is how long, how much does it cost to get there? And what will, and the costs are much more than just money for your legal fees emotional cost, your the value of your time, opportunity cost, uh, impact on your job because you're thinking about this divorce going the whole time. Your cash burn rate is up because you got two places you're living or whatever, uh, all that stuff. So you have to keep all that in mind. So 
I'm, it's great they're doing mediation. I think mediation is appropriate for certain topics like parenting because people don't need a lot of education about the legal side of parenting. Generally, people know they want joint custody. A lot of people kind of know that's okay for most people. And they also know that they maybe want some variation of 50-50 time or 45-55, some, you know, some thing, a needle swinging around the middle. And they're really just ironing out is it going to be a two-two-three schedule? Is it three-four-four-three, or maybe what weekends are going to be yours or mine? How are we dealing with vacations? And it's more getting into nitty-gritty stuff that people care about, and they they know what they want. They know they want to think through the holidays and stuff and have that conversation. But it's not lawyering. You don't need to know the law, and a lawyer doesn't need to sit there and tell you, oh, it should be Tuesday afternoon, or it should be you know you should have the weekends alternate or whatever. Lawyers aren't going to be helping you with that. It's when you get into alimony, child support, division of assets, dissipation, all these other issues, valuation of businesses, where we get into complexities that are beyond the scope of what a mediator can handle. So that's uh, that's what we want to talk about with mediation is give you kind of an intro to mediation coupled with this. Congratulations to Joe Jonas and Sophie Turner for doing it. And for parenting, I think it's perfect. I think it'll be great. And they'll probably come up with a successful outcome related to the kids. And we send a lot of people to mediation related to children or to a parenting specialist who effectively mediates the parenting issues, even in collaborative cases, where it's just not efficient for two lawyers to sit there, even in collaborative, and talk about whether it's 223, which to explain 223, it's like Monday, Tuesday for one parent, Wednesday, Thursday for the other parent, Friday, Saturday, Sunday is the three and that like alternates. And you can flip those chunks of days to give people very current or very frequent parenting time switch up, you know, change up. Uh, three, four, four, three, same thing, three days, four days, three, four, et cetera. Um, so one thing I wanted to mention though, this is advice to people going through mediation, if we're not representing you. STG Divorce Law, by the way, Chicago uh, and the suburbs. If we're not representing you, insist that your lawyer only have you go to two-hour mediation sessions. Some lawyers and mediators are fans of these insanely long sessions, and I will keep fighting this fight until I retire from this business. Nobody can handle more than two. I don't like spending more than two hours talking. It, I get exhausted. I can't imagine what the clients feel like, and we're getting paid to do this. After two hours, it's emotionally charged, you're tense, or hopefully you're able to relax to some extent. But even in mediation, when it isn't a big argument or whatever, it's stressful. Your, your mind is going the whole time and you're listening intently, you're talking and you're thinking very hard. And it's just like, take, it's kind of like taking a test. And nobody likes to take a test more than a couple hours. So people start losing their sharpness they start losing patience, tempers get short, and nothing good happens after two hours. So insist on two-hour sessions. Now, there's mediators out there who are not going to like me, and there are lawyers that won't like it because they love these long sessions, and they think their idea is, well, if we beat up the parties, now this is not what they're going to say, but in my opinion, they think, well, everybody's going to soften up after X amount of time, and they just get tired, and they finally agree to things. That's not a good way to agree to things when you're exhausted. You're just going to give in because you're what one person is going to give in because they're tired and and they can't think straight. So they agree to things they 
either wouldn't or shouldn't agree to. So here's what ends up happening. And I've seen this happen. I've, we've ended up being the lawyer where there was a mediated agreement and they come to us with it and they say, oh, they're not agreeing to the deal now. You know, what do we do? And they had another lawyer and they come to us or they try to mediate it without an attorney and they had a deal and then they backed out. One person backed out. Why? They, when they read it all over again, when they went in the cold light of day, after they were alert and had a cup of coffee, they read it and said, this isn't right. I don't want to agree to this. And so it wastes people's time and money. So in, in collaborative, I, I'm not claiming credit for this two hour rule. I learned this in collaborative training. When, when I did collab training, they said, we do sessions that are no longer than two hours in length for, the, for these reasons. And I have done that ever since and have been very glad I did. And what also happens, human nature, and I'm done after this, we'll move on to the next topic. But human nature is to fill the available space or time with stuff. When we live in a little apartment, we fill the apartment with stuff. And we, when we're moving to a house for the first time, we think, I will never fill this three-bedroom house with stuff. Nine months later, your three-bedroom house is filled with crap in your basement. <laughs> stuff in it and your garage is full of stuff after a few years and you can't believe you can fit in a three bedroom and then you move to a four bedroom and you fill that thing with stuff and and people will fill the available space with stuff they also fill the available time with stuff so people don't like making decisions it's icky it's stressful so they talk and talk and talk and talk and when they see the timer running out people start to make decisions or they start agreeing to things when they probably could have agreed to things earlier. So if you have a four hour session, people fool around until the three and a half hours go by and then they start talking turkey. Well, guess what happens? In a two hour session at the one and a half hour mark, people start agreeing to stuff. And it's amazing how people get more efficient to fill the time allotted. And it's just, one of those weird things about human nature, you will be more productive in less time and you'll spend less money on the mediator and the lawyers. Take my word for it. And ask your lawyers for those two hour sessions and your mediators, they will initially resist. But remember folks, you are the boss of your attorneys. They are not in charge of you. So if they say, no, we have to go more than two hours, ask them why. Get a, make them convince you why. I would, and if you get a good answer, let me know. Let Rahul know. We'd love to hear. Okay. Um, so that's what we wanted to say about that. It was kind of interesting. And, and also, um, cool for them making it public. Uh, it was, I guess their lawyers said they were going into, they told their judge that they were going into mediation. So in their case, they do have a court case, but congratulations to them. They're doing mediation to resolve this. So, and a four day would, in, in our area, like Rahul said, our court appointed mediation is uh, just like three hour, one hour sessions. It's not any kind of four day thing. So my guess, this is a private mediation. Okay. Um, so speaking of Sophie Turner and Joe Jonas, real briefly, um, the roll call of uh, famous millennial divorcees is growing. And now, by the way, we use the term divorcees for male and female, which back in the day, was not what they called them. Divorcees, to my knowledge, was the female. What do I know? I don't even know what the male version was considered back then, but um, Joshua Jackson, Ariana Grande, Dalton Lopez, Britney Spears, Sam Eshgari, some millennials getting divorced. We know we've been talking about it. 
Um, there's an interesting quote from Emily Redakowski. Hope I don't mispronounce that. She was divorced last year. She said this, personally, I find it chic to be divorced before the age of 30. Well, that's an interesting spin. Okay. Um, outside of Hollywood, the younger generation does not appear to be ditching matrimony at the same rate. This is an article published by thekit.ca. This is, don't know about this one, but I thought it was an interesting article. It's a Canadian uh, website. But the interesting thing is uh, the divorce trends in Canada are dropping. And with the younger generation, the trend is dropping. Um, per 2019 data, half as many Canadian couples under 35 got divorced as did in 2008. Half as many. That's a huge decline. And the median age of divorce is increasing. In 1980, it was 36. These days, it's closer to 46. That's a huge difference in Canada. And we're seeing a similar trend in the United States. And they talk about U.S. trends. In the U.S., the number of 25 to 34-year-olds marriages that ended in divorce fell from one-third in 1990 to 23% in 2017. So that's almost a 30-year span. So, um, you know, similar lengthy period of time they're, they're looking at. This is out of a studying out of Bowling Green State University, Ohio. In married people under 24, the difference was even more distinct. Divorce rates falling 43% in 27 years. So they say, why is this? We, Rahul, and I've been talking to you about what's going on with these stats in previous episodes, and we're seeing a couple of major trends. One is people are getting married at an older age, substantially older age, in their 30s, much more common than in their 20s. And people have established careers. Ostensibly, they know more about what they want. And there is one more interesting thing here that they mentioned in this article. People that don't get married but break up aren't tracked. So you're looking at it, you know, more and more people aren't getting married. Well, they're living together though, and they're forming dyads like male, female couple, male, male, female, female couple relationships. They're having children, they're having marriage like relationships, but the breakup stats aren't tracked. So we might be seeing potentially some portion of this number is a false positive sign, potentially. It may be that lots of people right. are still breaking up. We just don't know it. It's a silent situation. Many more people aren't, they're skipping getting married. Uh, in a previous, in a maybe a future episode, maybe I'll make my pitch, my case for marriage, but uh, that'll be, <laughs> and, and my non-religious case <laughs> for marriage, by the way, um, will be in a, late, a later episode. But Interestingly enough, this is the first time I've thought of this because I have I've repeatedly heard, and you have mentioned this too, the thing about everybody being older. So theoretically, they're more sane when they're making this decision. They know what they're getting into, blah, blah, blah. They've had more dating experience. And so they're getting married with more intention, et cetera. And that's limiting divorces. But the thing this person, this person says is, what about the silent killer? So that is the breakups we don't hear about. And we get plenty of them where people call our law firm and they have children, so they need to do a parentage or a paternity case. Those are way on the rise. And all you get is child support. There's no property division, there's no alimony. Um, so we don't know about those relationships dissolving. And here's a, here's a fact about the marriages. 44% uh, of millennials married in 2019 compared with 53% of Gen Xers 
61% of boomers and 81% of what they call the silent generation. I'm not sure what they mean that we, I'm thinking they're calling them the World War II generation, but so not entirely clear the reasons, but at least let's take the positive note. There's definitely some decline in divorce and it isn't just due to the fact that the people that maybe were more likely to get divorced anyway aren't getting married to start with, although that's probably part of the math. So what do you think? I think it's a, I think you nailed it. So it's like the two, it's sort of like the, I don't want to call it a double-edged sword, but it's sort of both that and the inverse. You're not tracking the number of, you know, how they used to say common law marriages, right? Where people live right. together. You know, a lot of states don't have common law marriages anymore, but people live together. They might get into cohabitation agreements, which I think we've touched on and we'll probably touch on again in the future about enforceability and the like. But really, those metrics aren't tracked. Secondly, if you're not getting married, you can't really get divorced. So the divorce rate will plummet. <laughs> right. right. I mean, uh, and finally, you have this uh, issue where people are getting divorced, uh, getting married later on in life. And we've talked about the quote unquote seven year itch. So people who were getting married in the 20s are getting divorced in the early 30s. So that number drops because now they're getting married in the mid to late 30s. So they're getting divorced in the 40s. So now your divorce in the 40s number rises. So uh, a correlation does not include, no, does not necessarily mean causation, you know how they say. So I think it's very interesting. It might actually reaffirm what always happens if we track all the, the, the right sample size and also track these other things. Like you said, are the parentage cases on the rise? Are people who get, who are together and then have a child, then break up, go to court to fight about this child? Can we use that as a, that right. as a divorce? But then the flaw there is, is, well, you... You might have these quote unquote one night stands where people have a child and they, you know, are trying to, you know, deal with that issue. So it might not necessarily be a relationship that was like a marriage, what we said, a de facto marriage that we talked about I think, right. in the previous episode. Right. So um, I think it's very, very interesting. Uh, I think it's interesting to study the numbers because it it shows that it's changing, but is the change an actual change or is it just change that's reaffirming? Are we moving it from this? Are we taking this book here and putting it on right. this shelf? Or are we sort of move, getting a different book? Yeah, and it's like the headline is one of which people would suggest things are getting better is kind of the log. The log line is, well, since the divorce rate is dropping, things are getting better. And when you break down the data with all the points you just made, you really can't make that claim I, because it's certainly better that fewer married people are getting divorced, but maybe it's not better that so many more people aren't getting married now. And there'll be a lot of people out there that will argue that, yeah, that's better. The marriage is terrible. And I'm not, you know, I know there's always the anti-marriage crowd that are going to shout at me, but assuming, well, we won't, I won't get into the whys and wherefores of why the government supports marriage and, and why marriage is considered what which you could why you consider marriage a good and people think like well you're a divorce lawyer of course you want to sell marriage well i would just say to those people that would be the longest sales funnel of all time that i would <laughs> i will market a really long game marriage here. i want i want to promote marriage so that people eventually get divorced so they hire me i'm not going to be around long enough to statistically cash in on that situation. So I don't think one guy talking about why marriage is good is going to move the needle. 
and get me more business in the long run. I, I do want to be the divorce lawyer, though, who's known as in our firm. I'd like us to be known as the divorce lawyers that are known as being fans of marriage. Uh, I may have I got divorced, but I had an amicable divorce and I got remarried. And I'm very happily remarried. And I like the institution and I think there's a lot of good to be said about it. And so I am certainly not the cynical anti-marriage divorce lawyer. I'm an anti-bad marriage divorce lawyer, for sure. And or, or if you're not happy, uh, you know, make every effort to make it right. And if that doesn't work, I understand divorcing. I did it myself. But, I, but I'm a fan of marriage for a number of reasons. So I would say a good divorce, a good marriage is better than a good divorce any day of the week. So... I, 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 yeah, uh, it's it's funny because yeah, that analogy is sort of like I mean you know you sell a hair transplant to like a bald guy so that you can give him haircuts in the future, right? I mean, uh, what's that company called? Restore or you know Brian Urlacher? Shout out if you guys want to sponsor oh, us. Um, they have the billboards called? on two ninety four going to the O'Hare Airport on the way from O'Hare because you know yeah. hair. Oh, I never <laughs> thought of that. Well, I knew something every day. All right. Um, moving on, we've so I, I've, we've covered that topic. Now let's get into um, this Maryland thing you've got in the dock. Yeah, so Maryland. So we've so we talk about in previous episodes briefly. You know, celebrities always say irreconcilable, or I mean, articles always say irreconcilable difference. What does that actually mean? Well. It's a ground for divorce, like we've explained previously. And so this article just came out, which says that getting a divorce in Maryland is now faster and less burdensome. So it appears that on October 1st, a new law went into effect that streamlines this lengthy process. And essentially what this article quoting says, one of the biggest changes is eliminating the at-fault requirement for a spouse filing for divorce in, uh, in Maryland. I believe Illinois, uh, if memory serves me right, eliminated fault grounds around 2014. Yeah, yep. So I, uh, so they're a little late to the party here, but it eliminates six long-standing grounds needed for divorce in Maryland, including adultery, desertion, criminal convictions, insanity, cruelty, and a mandatory 12-month separation period. So it says that by repealing the default grounds for divorce, the legislature has taken a step forward to turn the temperature down a notch and start and permit couples to start moving on without the time and expense of having to show who was at fault. So, uh, I mean, you're sort of almost changing it from being a punitive or sort of, hey, I got you. See, I saw this. It's a gotcha moment. Instead of that, it's like, all right, marriage is over. I, I want this marriage to be over. As long as one person wants to get divorced in Illinois, you're getting divorced. So uh, how do we figure out the issues surrounding every divorce? I tell all clients this, right? I tell them, and again, this is just advice, not legal advice. Just, I'm just We're just chatting here. So uh, if someone wants a divorce, you're getting divorced. So really the three issues you're dealing with are child-related issues, support-related issues, and asset and liability-related issues. You get those three done, you're getting divorced. So it's nice to see that Maryland has finally repealed this because now people can move on. And really now what they have is, is they just two grounds, the six month separation and irreconcilable differences is what they have left. So 
They also eliminated something called a limited divorce in Maryland, which had allowed for court supervision overseeing matters such as custody, support, alimony, and use of property until the file the couples could file for something called an absolute divorce. So it's uh, mutual consent of the parties still remained a prerequisite for divorce in Maryland, though. So maybe that's still one of those, you know, uh, old, uh, you know, a stand of the old guard that's still there. But I suspect that things will sort of move forward here because I am a firm believer of the no-fault way to go. So there's a couple things that are interesting about that. Uh, one is, yes, they're following the trend line among the states to eliminate fault um, in, in divorce cases. Like you said, ours was several years ago. And we talked about last week or the last episode, episode nine, we talked about South Carolina and fault is still a big deal. And if you prove adultery, you know, you can deny somebody might not get alimony or they could it could shift the division of property. So there are some some states where fault is still a really big deal and is litigated actively in those states. The logic behind this from the legislator's point of view is to make divorces less expensive, less burdensome and um, diminish the level of acrimony and fighting, which you would think is a public good because people say, well, attorney's fees are too high and we shouldn't have all this fighting. So these legislators say, fine, here's less fighting. I'll give you that. Now you, here you go. There is an interesting trend I'm reading about in the conservative world, or you might say the red pill world. This is sort of the traditional family conservative branch. And I understand where they're coming from, but here's what they're saying is they should make the, this shouldn't happen, that divorce should be harder to encourage people to stay married. And they're going in the other direction. <laughs> they think these things are bad because they think marriage should be difficult and not easy to get. And uh, these are people usually more religious conservatives, but there's also people that sort of believe in what they call trad or traditional marriage. And I understand where they're coming from, but I don't know if they've been, historically, there was a trend that started decades ago to move away from jury trials and divorces, proving fault in divorces. Um, and there's been a trend to make divorce generally easier because the complaint was it's way too expensive and inaccessible for people and people that need to get divorced can't get divorced or it's taking away more time and money than it should, et cetera. So the political trend line has been to make it easier really across the country over the last, let's say since the 1970s, so 50 years. And I'm starting to see comments in my social media and and by the way, the comments are all welcome. And, and I think it's an interesting argument to be made because I, again, am a fan of marriage. And these people are well-intentioned, obviously. But it's a pretty interesting thing because it started with women's rights advocates who were promoting no-fault divorce. Because remember, it, if traditionally the man controlled the money, we're talking about demographics, so folks don't get mad at me. Demographically, this was true back 50 years ago. More men were working, more women were at home and didn't have access to money. The husband could, could theoretically control the assets and income and go hire a lawyer. And we didn't have like 
a level playing field statute that balances out attorney's fees, for example. Well, a nasty husband could refuse to get divorced. He could theoretically cheat on his wife or whatever, do a bunch of bad things and refuse to get divorced from a woman who might de deserve and want a divorce because she couldn't get access to money, couldn't prove the guy was cheating, had, you know, had to get a private investigator, couldn't afford that, and couldn't meet that standard of proof to get a divorce granted. So that one of the reasons they had legal separation was to give some type of relief to, to women, mostly women, who needed that remedy, who, because you didn't have to prove those fault things to get legal sep legally separated. So there's just an interesting bunch of stuff here and people are gonna say it's political. I'm not trying to be political here. I'm trying to just talk about the history of where this came from and why. There were, there were good reasons behind it then. Now, maybe the demographic shift means maybe we don't need some of that stuff anymore. I don't know. It's an interesting, it's a thorny question. And there, somebody will say, well, if you're promoting marriage, why don't you support making, you know, keeping fault included in divorce? Well, one thing I will tell you is they took the teeth out of fault in many of these states first. So even though in Illinois we had fault as you could plead it, all it did was theoretically eliminate the need for our, our waiting period. We had a waiting period. The waiting period. And it eliminated that. If you, if you pled and proved fault, you didn't need to wait which ended up being a formality anyway. People would sign off on the waiting anyhow for irreconcilable differences. So people would plead the fault things just to bash the other person and make them look bad basically and, and put some pressure on them in a divorce case. It, it didn't materially affect the outcome of the case. So at some point, the divorce lawyer, bar, the bar and then the legislators driven by a lot of constituents said, what's the point of having these Lobby. fault allegations in here if they don't have any teeth anyway, and they're just in here to poke each other in the eye. That was certainly the Illinois situation. I, I suspect it's similar in this other state. So what, do you have any thoughts on that stuff to, you know? Yeah, I, I just, just briefly, it's sort of like, you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, sort of the way I think about it, it's like, okay, we're getting divorced. So who cares why? Okay, I know you want to tell everybody you want to publicize it. Great. There's very few reasons why fault might be actually relevant. And even then, it's not a ground for fault as much as for something else. For example, do you make bad decisions? Are you extremely abusive? In which case, I mean, it doesn't matter about actually getting divorced, but really, how are you with the kids? Are you a danger to the kids if you have kids? Do you have an affair? Well, okay, well, regardless of whether you have an affair or not, you can get divorced. It doesn't matter. But if you had an affair, are you spending marital funds on somebody else? Those are the reasons really why I would want to know these things. But even then, it's not to sort of prove a point as much as to basically make sure the result is equitable under the law and also the best interests of the child or children are, are considered. Right. So I, I, I don't want us to waste valuable money or valuable time uh, limited money and resources that parties have. I mean, everyone, even the richest person in the world has, to their extent, limited resources, uh, whatever that means. So why give a lawyer, even though, again, sort of great for drumming up business, right? Why give all your hard-earned money to a lawyer when you, could, when you don't have to do that and get a lot of this, just push it to this wayside and say, I don't care about why we're getting divorced. We're getting divorced. So let's focus on the meat and potatoes of it as opposed to fighting about 
you you know uh, the dates of this alleged adultery or or abandonment or 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 the like. So I do think that especially without teeth, there's no reason to go through a formality. Might as well just cut through the cut through the crap and kind yeah, of move and, on. And like you said, in Illinois, at least you can still raise the bad stuff if it's relevant to an issue in the case. So like you said, if it's related to custody, if the boyfriend or girlfriend is a, is a child abuser or hard drug abuser or something where they're a danger to the kids, you can certainly raise that. If there are financial issues, you're, you're able to raise that. So yeah, it's, I do see both sides of this, but it's, it's interesting how we've gone all this way. And then there's a certain sort of vocal, I don't know if they're a minority or not. I'm not trying to downplay what their feelings are, but they say, well, I want to go back to the way it was. I'm not sure that people really realize what that means. And maybe I'm getting philosophical here, but one thing I've said to people who feel upset that somebody's leaving them, you know, they'll talk to me and say, I'm upset that we're getting divorced. And I want to stay married. The philosophical question I ask is, do you want to stay married to somebody who doesn't love you? And that makes them think, and they say, well, they didn't think about it that way. People perceive it as a loss, and that's understandable because they're, they're losing something they had. But if they weren't loving you, what did you really have anymore except the shell of or your memory of the relationship as it was at its best? When the reality now is this person isn't, vested in you and doesn't want to be with you. And you don't like that, but that's, that's the reality. And I don't know if you want to stay married at that point, realistically, it's hard initially. That's the philosophical. Yeah, right. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> All right, a little deep, a philosophical corner, like Jack Handy or whatever. Okay. Um, no, that that's interesting. I thought there was a lot there to unpack that was worth talking about. So, this raises a couple of things. Um, we, we talked a little bit about divorce stats. I'll make this quick, but um, it's interesting that uh, they say recently that we talked about the trend line going down on divorces. And this is kind of funny. Uh, they talk about countries with leading divorce rates. The Maldives or Maldives leaves the pack of countries with highest divorce rate globally, 5.5 divorces per 1,000 people which is half the rate the country had in 2002. So it was a hotbed 20 years ago. So it's slowing down there too. Um, second country is the US, yay, go America. Uh, divorce rate is 5.1 per thousand people, which is the lowest since 2000. We talked about the trend dropping. Other countries with highest divorce rates per 1,000 people. Cuba, Estonia, Panama, Ukraine, Russia, Antigua, Bar Barbuda. I don't know about Barbuda. Belgium, Moldova, and China. India has one of the lowest divorce rates. Stats showing as low as 1% of all marriages end in divorce compared to the U.S. at 50%. Interesting. Um, yeah, well, there's that. very strong social pressure to not get divorced, right? Like huge. Absolutely. So you're not, again, this goes back to the sort of fallacy in the samples, right? Because survey people are even if they have uh, uh the social pressure not to get divorced so how many of them are sort of in these situations where they just feel like they can't escape it's a very very you know oftentimes 
male-dominated society. So they might not, you know, coming from a female perspective, so they might not be able to even get or be allowed to get a divorce, you know, quote, yeah. unquote, or it might bring shame to her family or his family, whatever the case might be. So I think that's where you sort of see the disconnect. A lot of these westernized, we'll call it a Western countries, you see the numbers, it makes sense. But for a country like India, I don't, I don't really know about Chinese culture yeah, I, enough. Well, I wouldn't they either. have an opinion, but yeah, but in India anyway, I, I know that that's probably inaccurate only because if you look at the people who would love to get divorced and <laughs> love nothing more than to get divorced, you, you know, that might yeah, be Yeah, it's like higher. how many unhappy marriages are there? That's a different number. Um, but what's the divorce rate? Extremely low because I'm sure, and I know from experience handling divorces for Indian people in the United States, the family societal pressure to stay married is intense. Um, and the family brokers the marriage issues. Um, the family, senior family members will frequently act as mediators um, and, are, and have very powerful influence on the extended family, which is probably like the United, U.S. was um, 100 years ago. You know, it was, divorce was much more unheard of and the religious ties and, and community ties were, were much stronger and the family pressure very strong to stay married. Um, I'm not saying it's good or bad, but I think that was true then for sure. Uh, they, do, they do explain that countries have different approaches to divorce and different legal regimens that make these numbers different. So in the Philippines, once you're married, you can't get divorced. So be careful out there. A word for the wise in the Philippines. Take you better be sure you want to marry this there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Vatican City, obviously, uh, Roman Catholic capital does not support divorce. Countries as Sudan and Egypt, Jordan, Algeria, Pakistan have quite stringent divorce laws. Consequently, have very complicated procedures. Yeah. Sharia law, right? Those are the Sharia countries, like the Middle East. Yeah. And, and um, Japan has simplest approach: 100-day rule. Under the 100-day rule, divorcing parties have a limit of 100 days before init between initiating divorce and when a ruling is made. Wow. Other, no messing around. Basically, three months and you're done. Other countries with divorce-friendly laws, Argentina, Spain, Sweden, Mexico, Slovenia, Norway. Interesting. Um, so Makes kind sense. of interesting how it's done in different places. I thought I'd mention it. Next one is uh, Oregon's divorce trade drops. This is Axios Portland published this. And I just thought this tied in with this trend line. Oregon's divorce rate steadily dropped from 10.8 per 1,000 people to 7.8 in 2021. Interestingly, still higher than the national average of, I think we just heard it's about five per 1,000 people. Um, why it matters. Um, prenups are on the way up. And we talked about that survey where more younger people are, are okay with prenups, like 50%. Um, last year, they found um, or recently, 42% or 42% last year said they were okay with prenups. One in five married couples has a prenup, but they said 40 to 50% now are okay with the idea of prenups. And that's a pretty dramatic change from even recently. So they're just saying it's interesting. This divorce rate is dropping. The marriage rate in Oregon is uh, spiking uh, in the last year or two. And, uh, the, but this idea nationally that more people are interested in getting prenups, we talked about in a previous episode. So I thought that was interesting and just tied into all this. Um, so let's get in. We, we love our dating app stuff. So let's, let's talk about our dating app material. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then just, you know, while we're getting to, to get, heading to that one, we just want to again hammer home the point. Prenups work, guys. Prenups work. Just yeah. so that don't listen to the noise about how it's there's no reason to get a prenup. They work. And it's it's proven time and time again. Absolutely. Um, all right. So hilarious story. Hilarious, but not so much for the person actually involved, but you know, for a third party viewer like <laughs> ourselves, that's kinda hilarious in my opinion. It's uh Title uh, is the article is Florida man's dating app match turns sour after date sets him up to be. It's always Florida man, right? So well, then it's going to be interesting. It's that's that's why it's a notorious Florida man. <laughs> uh, it's a and and here's the thing, a Chicago man was arrested for allegedly holding a woman he met on a dating app against her will. Uh, that was the, that was another article that was tied to this one. But this article, let's talk about this article really quick. Uh, a Florida man got more than what he bargained for after, I guess, the app, the person he matched with, set him up to get carjacked. So basically, uh, without getting into people's names and everything here, this 24-year-old lady uh, and an unidentified 35-year-old man decided to meet in person on September 24th at an apartment complex after communicating over this dating app called Tagged. Never yeah, heard of this yeah. app before. T-A-G-G-E-D. Tagged. Uh they they met and then the guy took his car drove to the nearby park uh in in his 2013 mazda and then they arrived the park was closed so then they kind of went back to the apartment complex during the ride back the the woman who did the setup here is kind of acting shifty she uh he noticed her sending a lot of text messages just very very in a very shifty fashion definitely thought it was a little suspicious and so again this happened Kind of late at night, in my opinion, a little late to be going to a park, but you know, <laughs> yeah, it's it's, it's what it is. It's like close to midnight at this point. So, I mean, you know, come on, right? you got to know better. So anyway, uh, she also made a phone call at, uh, at one point to someone, you know, very hushy hushy. So uh, around 11.50 p.m., they got back to the apartment complex and he was met or they were met by two suspicious men, one who was carrying a gun. And then the guy was allegedly ordered out of the car and demanded that the keys be given to these two people. And the guy calmly exited. No, you know, the reason I thought this was a little funny was because no one was hurt or anything. It's just kind of one of those like, get out of the car, give me the car and leave. So it's just, you know, just stand around and wait kind of thing. And so the victim got out, laid on the ground, they took the car and the date, the quote unquote date that he was with, got in the car with those people and drove off. So uh, very interesting. They caught up with the lady who sort of, you know, committed, you know, committed this crime and charged her with the armed carjacking felony charge. So that sounds pretty serious to me. And uh, hopefully this guy isn't too shook up by this. But again, another big reason why I thought this was sort of funny was was not because of the substance but because of sort of the circumstance yeah. you you know you're meeting somebody on this random app at, at very late at night decide you want to go to yeah. a park and and then turns out the park is closed and so you come back i mean you almost wonder if this guy had any plans you know what i mean yeah so, uh who knows work to the wise if you're meeting people on dating apps meet in a neutral location whether you're male or female check this person out in a neutral place, public place, coffee place that's busy, you know, bar or restaurant at a reasonable, at a reasonable time. time. And and then control the environment, meaning 
you don't know these people until you get to know them. So going back to their place right away, sketchy, and you're rolling the dice. So you don't know what's going on. Yep. People are, you got to be careful out there, folks. So one way or the other, whether you're male, female, you know, you don't know. So you can't, like this guy thought he was in control of the situation, thinks, oh, this is great. I'm going back to our apartment, ends up getting carjacked. So you never know. And so until you get to know somebody or you've checked them out, always have a backup plan and always control the environment, you know, uh, neutral location and keep it safe. <laughs> so, uh, And you got to wonder if he was thinking with his head, right? I mean, not the victim blame here, but I mean, you, you know, it's sort of like one of those where it's like, it's close tonight. You guys just had to go to a park. So she says, no, and let's go back to my yeah. place or whatever. I mean, come on. Kind of like, too good to be true, man. Uh, be careful. <laughs> so I looked up tagged. The Wikipedia says they were founded in 2004 it allows members to browse the profiles of any other members. So it's, you don't have to swipe back and forth and share tags and virtual gifts. That's the tagged in tag. Um, ah, cool. They are been pretty successful. Um, they have been uh, acquired by the meat group in 2017. They wanted to, the guy, the entrepreneurs who founded it were Greg Sang and a guy named uh, Johan Schleier Smith, they wanted to build a teen Yahoo or the next MTV when they initially founded this thing. And uh, they ranged, raised angel investor funding originally and then more money and uh, grew from there. And so the Meat Group, let's see what they own. The Meat Group, formerly Meet Me, owns several services, including Meet Me, High Five, Lovu, Growler, of course, spelled G R O W L R, Scout, S K O U T, and Tagged. The company's offices in Pennsylvania, Philadelphia, San Fran. And so interesting, this company owns all this stuff. And it's actually a larger German company that owns this outfit. So, you know, it's funny. These things all end up getting consolidated, you know, typically like the other dating apps. But, um, yeah, interesting story. So what's this? Um, and, and now we tie in AI, of course. What What's this one? Yeah, so all the always AI segment that we sort of have now is is uh, so an article on Business Insider. I know you you love Business yeah. Insider here. So uh, <laughs> uh, titled "An AI Dating App Claims to Find Your Perfect Match Using Only Your Face." So the premise is there's this app called Psy Match. Again, haven't checked it out. We don't know. We're just sort of passing the news. So I don't know how good or bad it is. But Psy Match, like science, Psy Match is a dating app that claims to use social science and AI to match compatible <laughs> partners. So it says. The pitch is really, rather than create an entire dating profile, all you have to do is one selfie. And then it sort of takes a look at your face, you know, contours it, and then it claims to use AI-powered facial recognition to help users find love. Okay. So uh, it uses an algorithm to examine personality traits that it identifies in your face and recommends potential partners based on their compatible Trait. So a good tagline, you guys can have this for free, I guess, or maybe not, depending on how good it is, is, uh, you know, uh, we do judge a book. Yeah, they, yeah, I right? guess they do. <laughs> yeah, that might be good or bad, depending on your point of view. <laughs> so, I mean, it was, I guess an app was launched last year by sisters Yan, Yanina and Victoria, spelled V-I-K-T-O-R-Y-I-A, uh, who are data science and computer science graduates, respectively. 
It's based on a study into correlation between facial images and the five main self-reported personality characteristics. Uh, extroversion, openness, agreeableness, conscientiousness, and how neurotic somebody is. Okay. So uh, it's a five-dimensional personalized feature based on static facial features is what they say. <laughs> so, But they do acknowledge that there's limited data set and... Um, and other companies, like we talked about last time, are kind of getting into this whole AI uh, universe. Huh. So we'll see. And apparently, if you give them a, a couple extra bucks, this is apparently free. But if you want to pay them a few bucks, I believe I read in this article, uh, again, I don't know what the cost is, but you can upload a photo of your celebrity crush and they'll help you find a lookalike partner. So, so the website for SciMatch has some pictures of couples on there that presumably have a high percentage matching level. And they look, when you look at the pictures, I'm sure this was by design. I mean, who knows if these are actual matches or not, but they look sort of similar. Like it could be yeah, siblings. Realistically. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's kind of like, like enjoys like, I guess. And this is sort of, Interesting. Um, it says like faces don't lie, you know, scan your face, discover your true self, envision your future with potential matches on sign match because faces don't lie. A single selfie is all it takes to match you with a person with whom you'll have a strong connection. 50 million downloads. That is huge. 50 million. Very intriguing. I must say very, very, very intriguing. Yeah. It's, um, I'm looking at they have this like nifty little video again, side yeah. match. Uh, they've know, been and they've got a, a lot of this app. A I lot mean, of news out there already on these guys. They've got they've got a obviously a hot launch if it's 50 million downloads already. Pretty wild. So yeah, that's that's mm -hmm. interesting. Um, there's you know, I don't know if it makes dating any easier, man. <laughs> From what these people are saying and everything, it's just like there's. Remember, I talked in the last episode about the like the five questions we answered in on or 20 questions in high school to find a match. And now we're scanning faces, uh, 50 or 40 years later. Yeah. You're and I both out of the game. Yeah. Yep. And you and yeah. I are both out of the game. And, you know, I honestly couldn't be happy yeah. because, uh, this seems like a lot it's to deal a lot with. Of work. All right. Thanks Rahul. Appreciate it. And, and that's the pod. Have a good one. You too. Thanks. Bye.